blessing and a joy to be here today. We are thankful to have many visitors with us. We are encouraged by your presence. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up by being here. We are not here to discuss the, the words or thoughts of men. We want to keep our focus on the Word of God. That is where the power is. That is where we learn God's will for our lives. So as we study today, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. This is where we'll spend most of our time. Doctrinal differences abound in the religious world today. Even uh, among those that we might consider our brethren, there can sometimes be very different perspectives on what God's Word teaches regarding certain issues. Why is this? Does God's Word really present so many different ideas? God's Word is not responsible for division. If we are divided on doctrine, we must accept that the blame lies with us. Doctrinal differences are ultimately the result of people molding God's Word, whether intentionally or unintentionally, after their own personal perspectives. And if we are honest with ourselves, I think we have to admit this is something we've each been guilty of at times. Acts 17 is a good chapter to challenge us, to make us think about our attitude or perspective towards God's Word. Here we see three different attitudes. The Thessalonians, who clung to what was old and familiar. The Athenians, who grasped for something new and exciting. And the Bereans, who simply held fast to the truth. As we consider these, we need to ask ourselves, what attitude describes me? Because only one of these three received the salvation and hope of the gospel. First, let us consider the people of Thessalonica, who were resistant to any type of change. In Acts chapter 17, verse 5 and 6, we read how they reacted to the preaching of Paul. It says, But the Jews, being zealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. Notice the battle cry of the Jews was not that what Paul was teaching was false, not that it was wrong or spiritually harmful, but that it turned the world upside down and upset their way of life. Some people are so comfortable with exactly where they are that they will go to great lengths to keep anyone from rocking the boat. Anything new, anything different, anything that would require change is quickly rejected. They want to maintain the status quo. They are more concerned about being comfortable than being right. Tradition becomes a higher virtue than truth. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10 warns us, Do not say, Why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. We need to be careful that we do not become more attached to the good old days than to the ancient of days, the good God that we serve. The road of holiness and purity, of morality and truth, is not backwards, it is upwards. God's word should turn our world upside down. We are commanded in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God should transform us and cause us to be very different from the society in which we live. This was true in the first century. It was true in the time of the Puritans. It was true in the 40s and 50s, and it is true today. No culture or society has ever been a safe pattern by which to mold our lives. God seeks to turn our world upside down and inside out. That is what conversion is. If our lives are nothing more than a continuation of the rituals and practices of our childhood, then we have never truly become disciples of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, we read about the 
process of conversion. Here, Paul describes conversion in these words, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Conversion means change. It means repentance and transformation. It means putting off the old man and putting on the new. It means a rebirth into a new spiritual creation. You cannot be a Christian without change. And you cannot have growth without change. Notice in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, how Paul describes spiritual growth. Here he writes, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Forgetting what lies behind is a necessary part of reaching forward and growing. Sometimes when we read this passage, we think of all the bad things in Paul that he may have wanted to forget. But in the context, that is not the main thing Paul is speaking of. In verse 7, Paul says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost. <laughs> Paul had a prestigious position among the Jews. But if he was going to reach forward and be who Jesus wanted him to be, he had to be willing to leave all that behind. We must be willing to do the same. If we want to grow, we must put our previous life behind us. Have you ever tried to go up an escalator with one foot firmly planted on the bottom floor? It doesn't work very well. And yet sometimes this is what we try to do. We want to grow without changing anything. We need to let Jesus turn our world upside down. We need to be willing and eager to change in whatever way God wants us. We have an opposite example in Acts 17 of the people of Athens who are always eager for something new or different. We read in Acts 17, verse 21, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. This is a dangerous attitude as well. They want to listen to Paul's message, but not because they think it is true, but simply because it is something new and different. Do you think this describes our society? Always looking for something new and exciting? We live in a disposable society. You may spend a lot of money on a phone, but in two or three years, it is time to throw it away and get a new one. We buy expensive computers, but in four or five years, they are outdated. We always want something new, but the excitement quickly wears off. In our society, you might get married, but in two or three years, the excitement has worn off, and you need to divorce your wife and get a new one. We need to be careful that we don't begin to think this way. This attitude can even affect the way we view religion in the Bible. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 through 4. Here, Paul commands Timothy, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to hear, have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. He says Timothy must preach the word, in season and out of season. That means there will be times when God's word won't be popular, when people will not want to hear sound doctrine. They will want to hear something new and exciting, something more pleasing to their ears. Yet our preaching cannot change. It must remain constant and true to God's word. We must be careful that we don't become tired of the same old preaching and the same old worship. If we become tired of the Bible, 
If we become tired of obeying God's will, there is a big problem. We must hold fast to divine traditions. Traditions are not always a bad thing. Some traditions can be good and helpful. And some traditions are handed down to us by God. These are traditions we cannot compromise. Traditions that we must hold fast to. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, God commanded his people, Stand by the ways and see, and ask for the ancient path where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. We need to look back to the ancient path. Not necessarily the paths of our parents or grandparents, but the path of the ancient days, the pattern God has given us in the scriptures. The problem with many traditionalists is not that they want to go back to the past, but that they don't want to go back far enough. In Matthew 19 and verse 18, when Jesus was speaking about marriage, he went all the way back to creation. He said, from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus may have seemed like a liberal or revolutionary to some. He certainly violated the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. But in another sense, Jesus was an ultra-conservative. He was as traditional as you can get. He went back to the traditions of God. In our modern society, it doesn't matter if people see us as liberal or conservative. What is important is that we hold fast to the traditions of God, that we go back to the Bible and follow the pattern of the New Testament. This is our tradition. Paul commanded the brethren in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, stand firm and hold to the tradition which you were taught. Then in chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. When it comes to divinely inspired traditions, our salvation and position in the Lord's church is dependent on whether or not we hold that to Some may feel that traditional Christianity is just too lifeless and boring. It's the same old thing week after week. Always preaching book, chapter, and verse. Always singing the same old song. We just pinch and sip the Lord's Supper and go through the motions. Now, if our worship is lifeless, lacking passion and sincerity, that is something that we should be concerned with. But the problem is not traditional worship or traditional teaching. The problem is the heart. We don't need some new method to make our worship more entertaining or our teaching more exciting. We need to change our hearts. The church in Corinth had a very exciting worship service. Everybody was very active. There were many people speaking in tongues and using miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But from God's perspective, it was a disaster because they did not have the right hearts and they were not doing things according to God's will. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we read, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. No amount of outward excitement could make up for a lack of love or for the wrong type of heart. We should not always be looking for something new and exciting, something non-traditional, something that others haven't thought of before. We should have hearts that are passionate about the traditions of Scripture and the truth of God's Word. Ultimately, our priority must not be what is old or what is new, but what is true. This is what we see from the saints of Berea. In Acts 17 and verse 11, we read, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. 
these Jews were not focused on whether or not this message would upset their personal beliefs or practices. They were not focused on how exciting or unique this message was. They didn't care if it was conservative or liberal. They wanted the truth. People with this attitude are the only ones who are going to find the truth and receive the saving power of the gospel. In John chapter 7 and verse 17, Jesus said, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. It is only when we have a genuine commitment to God's will that we will come to know the truth. A commitment to truth must guide everything we teach and practice. If it is the same or different from what we have believed and practiced in the past, it should be irrelevant. If it is exciting or appealing to us, if it is inside or outside our comfort zone, it should not matter at all. The only thing that matters is whether or not it is God's will, whether or not it is the truth. We must never sacrifice truth for personal preference or opinion. Truth is too valuable. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. We must not sell truth in exchange for anything. Not for unity or peace. Not for tolerance. Not for our emotions. Not for acceptance by men or popularity. Truth is more valuable than any of these things. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10 speaks about people who will perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Truth equals salvation. You cannot have a hope of eternal life unless you have a genuine love of the truth. Jesus said to his disciples in John 8, 32, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth equals freedom. Freedom from the oppression and guilt of sin, and from sin's eternal consequences. In John 14, and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth equals Jesus. You cannot have Jesus without truth. You cannot have a genuine relationship with him, and you cannot be on the path to eternal life. In some ways, God's word is like a mountain road, with a sheer drop-off on one side and oncoming traffic on the other. Some people focus on avoiding the cliff, and they want to pull all the way to the left, but they will get hit by oncoming traffic. Others are more concerned about oncoming traffic, and they pull all the way to the right, but they will fall off the cliff. The key is not to pull to the right or the left, but simply to stay in between the lines. It doesn't matter if a teaching is old or new. All that matters is whether or not it is true and consistent with the Word of God. Which of these attitudes describes you? Do you lean towards the old or the new, or are you simply committed to the truth of God's Word? It is our goal at this local church to be committed to the truth. We want to hold fast and stand firm in the divine traditions that we see within God's Word. And we want to make any changes necessary to be in line with God's will. Let's each ask ourselves a question. Am I following the truth today? Are there any changes that I need to make? Only the truth can set you free. Only the truth can give you a genuine relationship with Jesus. Only the truth can give you a hope of eternal life. If you are not seeking the truth and obeying the truth in your life, won't you make the necessary changes? If we can help you in any way, please let us know.